This is the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast. My name is Nini White. Welcome to episode 110 and my conversation with Rona Weintraub about the important contributions of speech and language therapists. Communication is a major component of children's social and emotional learning and development, but some children experience persistent challenges with one or more elements that are necessary for verbal communication. So I know this conversation will will be valuable for learning some of the many, many ways in which speech and language therapists can help alleviate or at least greatly reduce major frustrations that some kids experience with speech impediments, delayed speech, inadequate vocabulary, even listening skills, and development of neuronal pathways related to speech, and really so much more. We even got into the challenge that some teachers experience when they notice a student's speech and language challenges that really require professional attention but do not sense an opening for that kind of conversation with parents. This was a rich conversation with Rona Weintraub, a speech and language therapist for over 50 years and still going strong with so much heartful enthusiasm. It was really inspiring. When Googling Rona, I found the following description of Rona's skills written by a very grateful mother and posted to a community of other mothers. She wrote, Hello, mommies. After many stressful and unsuccessful attempts at speech therapy for my son, now age seven, we finally found Rona Weintraub, and the world is right again. Rona is a wonderfully warm grandma type who is genuinely interested in children and builds her practice around what interests them. After two years of trying and getting nowhere with other therapists, we found Rona, who began making progress with our son almost immediately. It is so important to get this work right. I felt compelled to pass along her information to save other children and families the heartache of not getting it right. Rona has been doing this for literally decades, and she works with kids ages 2 to 12. She comes to your home, which we found to be only, not only convenient, but also key to our son's ability to open up and to try. As you will hear um, towards the end of this episode's conversation, Rona is available to answer questions you may have, and her contact information is in this show's notes. Okay. Thank you for being here. Rona Weintraub, thank you. Thank you for finding the time to be here and share conversation with me and share with us your 50 plus years as a speech and language pathologist. Wow. Wow. Um, I have many questions because I am positive that I do not really know or understand the extent to which what you do improves and changes lives for everyone that you uh, are there for. Most people don't understand that. Right, right. That's why I thought it would be really important. But, But the seed, this my seed understanding is that communication is there's there's frustrations and there's impediments to it 
So where do you think we should start in this conversation about your, your offerings as a speech and language pathologist? Um, so let's clear up a little bit about, you know, what, what people don't understand about what speech therapy, by the way, speech pathologist, speech therapist, speech clinician, it's all the same thing. Yes. It's, it's all the same thing. We all have the same um, education and qualifications and we have state license or whatever. Um, but it so, seems like the speech pathologist just emphasizes on problems or... That's why I don't call myself a speech pathologist yeah. unless I'm doing an official report. When I talk to parents, I say I'm a speech therapist and um, it just sounds friendlier. Yes, it does. Yeah, I don't like the word pathology, yes. um, especially working with children because a lot of the times they can grow out of, with the proper help, they can actually progress out of what's considered a, a disorder or a problem. Yes. So what I wanted to say first is yes. um, speech therapists deal with both speech and language. The difference being a speech problem would be a child who can't pronounce their sounds. They, they've got sentences, they know what they wanna say, they understand language, but um, you know, in the worst cases you got, you know, you know, whatever they, they're just, they don't have a lot of sounds. Older kids, a lot of times you've got problems with S's and R's, um, right. you know, S-H's, C-H's, T-H's. Uh, that's a speech problem. Stuttering would also come under that. A speech problem is how you deliver your communication, how you articulate it. Language is a whole other thing. I mean, I've worked with kids, we all have all the speech therapists. We've worked with kids who don't have a problem with speech. They're, um, they pronounce everything properly, but let's say a five-year-old who's only talking in three-word sentences, um, when they should be talking just like an adult, you know, long compound yeah. complex sentences. Yes. Um, a child who isn't, doesn't understand language, that would be a language comprehension problem. Yes. So a child who is only, like hearing the key words in a sentence, like, you know, go put your shoes up in your bedroom and they only hear shoes and bedroom. That's yeah. all they can process, yeah. the main words in the sentence. Yeah. Um, and so um, language is a whole other thing. And I've worked with a lot of kids on their language development, you know, mm -hmm. getting their sentences longer and more complicated and more complex and understanding more complex thoughts and communication. And then there's a whole other thing. Wow. Okay. And then uh, there's, I mean, there's so many different things that speech therapists yes. do, you know, dealing with children with cleft palate, that's a speech problem. Dealing mm -hmm. with kids um, who have cerebral palsy, that's actually a speech problem. They may have the language, but they can't get their mouth to work because the muscles don't work right. Yeah. That's all speech. Wow. So again, so besides speech and language, there is also social interaction and this has been a new thing in speech in the field of speech therapy probably over the past 20 years when i was trained nobody talked about this but there are therapists who specialize in um, teaching children what we call social thinking and social interaction yeah. for example a child who whose speech is perfect their language is nice beautiful complex but they don't know how to, conversa how to have a conversation because they lecture to you. 
oh. and they're they're going on and on and on and lecturing and lecturing they oh. don't understand turn taking in uh. conversation uh. they don't understand how to engage the other partner communication partner uh. it's almost as though they're just talking to themselves yeah and um you, this is this is a big problem with kids with um who are in the autistic spectrum yes yeah, yeah they just and so uh, a lot of uh, I've done I've done this kind of work too. Um, actually, teaching a child to read facial expressions, yes, body language, um, you know, listening to what I say, giving yeah. me a turn, yes. showing interest, asking me a question about my trip during the summer. Yes. So that's a whole field of social thinking, social interaction, which speech therapists do too. Wow. Is that all? That's just children. Yeah. I don't wow. work with adults anymore, but right. there are therapists who work with adults. So they're working with people who've had strokes. They're working with people with Parkinson's, um, you know, whatever, you know, whatever is, is affecting, you know, old, the age or aging population. Right. And I've done some of that, but I, don't, oh, I really prefer working with children. It's so much fun. Yes, yes. That's why I keep doing it. Yes, gosh, yes. You you don't look like you could be working at something for 50 years. I mean, I, I don't I'm not just saying that. I mean, clearly you love what you're doing, so it just puts life in your in your Absolutely. Yes. I think it keeps me young. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um so Rona, um I want to ask you a million questions for uh, unpack a lot of what you just uh, gave us that overview. Um, but that one where, what is it when the child can't, what's that when they have that disease? I'm sorry. Uh, you mean like cerebral palsy? Yes, yes, yes. So, okay. A child is brought to you with that. What, what, you give them exercises. They move their mouths a certain, how do you, how do, what can you, how can you help um, I don't really work with kids with cerebral palsy anymore, but what I used to do, um, the problem is they, the the child probably knows what he wants to say, has yes. all the language, yes. you know, the sentences in his head, the vocabulary, but it's a problem with um, the muscles. Yeah. The muscle. Yeah. So uh, it's called dysarthria and they can't get the, the parts of the mouth to move the way we do. And um, well, some people do exercises, um, you know, Again, I haven't worked with it in a long time. One of the most one of the, the most serious kinds of problems, if the child can't be understood at all, yeah. um, there are therapists that make a communication board, uh -huh. or you can do it on an iPad or some kind of a device oh. that actually talks for you, oh, wow. so um, that the child can you know either point to something in pictures or on an iPad or even put a whole sentence together. You know, press I and press like and press cookies and create a whole sentence okay. so wow. yeah okay did not expect this conversation to go in that direction at all yeah um, yeah, yeah. But so, i mean when you, when you think about con uh, communication yeah commun there's so many ways you know yes. if you think about people who are deaf they communicate beautifully through sign language yes right and that's that's communication um and so there's a lot of what the speech, a speech therapist should be thinking of what is the way to help this person mm. communicate most optimally. Mm. It might be with words. It might be with pictures. It might be with, with sign 
it, you know, it, the whole thing is you want the, the person or the child to be able to communicate and as effectively as possible. So communication, you know, you and I can communicate with gestures, facial expressions. Right. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, and so one thing that happens when a child can't communicate or doesn't isn't you're not getting what the child wants to say is frustration mounts quickly we've all seen that you, you know you that person doesn't know what i want and so is that a big sign if a child is getting frustrated a lot that he has a speech uh, a need for a speech and language therapist or or how do you I, know how does a teacher or a parent know when they need to um Okay, so it's a, it's a it's a complex question. Of course, um, a of lot course. of times. Okay, I, I I have there's a pediatrician that I work with who actually can look at a 15 or 16 month old mm -hmm. and say to the parent, "You need to call Rona." Mm -hmm. um, at that, it just it, it, my kid's not even a toddler yet, mm -hmm. um, because if the child doesn't go through the normal phases of cooing and then babbling and really and also trying to imitate what the parent does mm. by around eight or nine months if you're mm. going ooh, 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 and the baby will go ooh, 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 or mm -hmm. try to do something like that they're watching your mouth they're mm -hmm. listening mm -hmm. you know if, at 14 15 16 months if the child isn't doing that there, there may be something really amiss mm. and so i've worked with a lot of kids that are really little and most of them are not frustrated um, because their parent usually knows what they want because yeah. a, you know, a child that young doesn't have a whole lot of different things that they, they want to communicate. You know, I want a cookie, I'm thirsty, you yeah. know, I want my, my teddy bear so yeah. they can go get it or gesture or point or whatever. Okay. Um, I see the frustration coming in. I'm working with a, a number of two-year-olds, two and a half, they're now two and a half. And they're getting frustrated, um, and um, yeah. So we're trying to figure out with some of these kids: should we use pictures in addition to words, so to help them communicate? Um, but some of these kids are really adept at figuring out how to communicate with facial expressions, gestures, pointing, going and getting things. Um, and with older kids. I mean, a lot of kids are oblivious to the fact that they're not being well understood. As long as the main things that they they need are getting met. Huh. I mean, I've I've seen I worked with a kid who was five and he was so hard to understand, but he was oblivious to it. Oh, yeah. So that's going to isolate him more as he gets older. Right. Or, or... Well, except we, we started some really intensive speech therapy unless he gets some therapy and exactly he's perfect now his yeah. speech is absolutely perfect yeah. i worked with him for two years he had many many sounds that he was mispronouncing couldn't say um and um you know over a period of about two years we straightened it all out and his speech is absolutely perfect and he's an a student and he's amazing and Okay, so he can't pronounce what words, and then what do you do? What's the remedy? Well, he couldn't. He couldn't say shs, chs, ths, s, z, r. Wow. Uh, I think maybe f's were a little off. F's and v's. So, um, I. That's an interesting question. Like, where do you start? Yeah. Um, 
And so two things I take into, into account. One is which of the sounds is going to be easiest for him to learn. So, so he can I'll, have a success. I'll, I'll, yeah, try the different sounds. And if there's one that seems like it's going to be easier, I would start with that one. Although if it's a V, that's not a good idea because a V is, a, is a, an infrequently occurring sound in English. So besides looking at what sound he can, he's most likely to learn easiest, the other is which one occurs the most in the language yeah. and would actually enable people to understand him better. Of course. Yeah. So, so like S, so for example, S is an, a very frequently occurring letter, yes. S. Yeah. And if the child is saying, um, my sister went to school, you can understand that even though the child is lisping or using a forward tongue yes. where it should be teeth closed. Yes. Um, but if the child is doing, doing something else for S, like um, uh, my, my kicker is going to call a K for an S, you know, people aren't going to understand that. Right. right. So I would probably start, you know, get in there on that and see if we can't get something going with that. How do you teach the S sound? It's so invisible. You can't see it. Well, you can see it better than R. R is the hardest one to teach. Really? You can't, you can't see what's happening with an R. Okay, so if I were going to teach you how to say an S, yes. first of all, I would teach you to blow. Oh. For some kids, that's what I'm doing. I'm working with them on blowing. Yeah. Like blowing bubbles blowing a cotton ball across the table, blowing out a, a candle wow. because they've got to get the airstream. Yes, yes. And so once they got the airstream, then I teach them to close their teeth. Ah. Yes. And with F, very similar. You're blowing, but your teeth are on your lip. Oh, right? Wow. Right. So there's, okay. there's classes of sounds. There's Sounds where there's a continuous airstream. Yes. As opposed to those are called stop plosives. Yes. You're stopping the sound with your tongue. Yes. Now, if you think about R, this is the hardest one. And this yeah. is why so many people, yeah. this is the sound that they, they never learn. <clears throat> um, it's, it takes place in the middle of your tongue. And when you say so, just say er, er, er. It doesn't er. matter what you do with your lips, er, yeah. er, er. It's in the middle of your tongue. There's uh, no way to see it. Yes. So that's the hardest one. It takes yes. a lot of experimenting and listen. A lot of it's listening too. Yes. I will put um, I'll put a child. I'll put on head headphones and I'll say R words really slowly and clearly. And so that sound is just magnified for them. And sometimes that will click yes. and it'll start to get them to change the way they're moving their tongue. But mm -hmm. otherwise, it's a lot of experimentation. Sometimes you can get it from L. Start with L. Uh, and you pull your tongue back. Uh, it, becomes whoa. it becomes an R. There's all kinds of tricks. Of yeah. course. <laughs> and, any, wow. and, and, and every speech therapist you would talk to probably has different tricks. Yeah. Oh, that's fab. Um, my goddaughter's son, very intelligent boy, but when he was a little one, it was always um, W's for R's. Right. And everybody was all worried about him, especially his grandmother and wanted to send him to therapy. But at what age? At what age? 
he was three and four, I think, you know? Okay, so that's perfectly normal. So this is the other thing um, in figuring out what to do with a child or if yes. a child even needs therapy. Yes. Um, we, we know a lot about the what's expected at different levels of development and different yes. ages. Um, it's very common for children to do a W for R, you know? Um, let's see, um, I got um, my, um, the woes is wed, the rose is red. Yes. Um, very common in um, up until like the age of five. Yes. Um, but a lot of times I start earlier. If the parents want me to start earlier, I will because the R is the hardest one. And it takes, sometimes it takes a long time to work on it. Um, but it, and so developmentally, some kids just grow out of it. They learn how to control their tongue and make an R, which is harder um, to do. But by seven, I would say by seven or eight at the latest, if that R is still a W, that child definitely needs speech therapy. He or she is not going to grow out of it. Right, right. Yeah. And so I guess that's a, the, the bigger question is how do people know when something is just, you know, don't worry, they'll outgrow it or and certain. Yeah. So my answer to that is go yes. see a speech therapist. Yeah. I have <laughs> had amongst my friends, um, so many have worried like crazy about their children, you know, oh, oh my God, you know, what's yeah. it, it, does he need to see a speech therapist? Yeah. And it's like, well, you take him to a speech. If you're worried, you take him to a therapist and the therapist will let you know yeah. if this is normal development or yeah. if your child should start therapy. And you can then start negotiating like when and what and how, yeah. how much, how often. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know why people are so hesitant to actually find out. Yeah. You just, it's so simple. You go see a speech therapist. We always make it fun for the kids. Uh -huh. I mean, that's what we do. You know, okay. we know how to make everything fun uh -huh. because if the child is not having fun, he's not going to learn. Sure. He or she's not going to learn. Sure. Um, but I would say anytime a, a, a parent is concerned, go have an appointment with a speech therapist and that will either allay your fears, you know, and let you know this is fine. Sometimes it's like, well, it's a little off, but we're going to watch it for the next six months or the next year mm. and we'll recheck it. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I've gone through this with, with my own friends mm -hmm. who are worried and yet they won't, don't want anybody to, you know, they don't want to go see a therapist or they don't want to have the kids hearing tested. I mean, you just, you find out, you know, and then exactly. you go from there. Just, and something that you said is that you as a, a speech therapist make it fun for the kids that that oh. somehow puts it into a whole other oh well it's going to be fun it's you know instead of making it like a medical procedure you that's know? why I, that's why I hate the word pathology yes. no I mean what I do is I play with children yes. I play with them and yes. you know and I've had enough experience if I'm just playing with a child yes. um and I usually follow their lead yes. what they're interested in yeah. um and I'm listening. I'm listening for uh, all the different speech sounds in, in the beginning, middle, and ends of words, the vocabulary, the ability to create a sentence, how their understanding, their comprehension of the language that I'm putting out. Um, also, mm -hmm. I'm looking at a lot of other things. I'm looking at their play skills. Are their play skills normal for their age? Play skills. I'm really looking at the whole child. Um, I'm looking yeah. at their, their motor skills. Do okay. I need to refer this child to an occupational therapist or a physical therapist? 
And of course, I'm looking at how they relate. That's the big thing. Mm -hmm. Is this child, does this child make eye contact? Mm -hmm. Does this child watch my face? Does this child have normal facial expressions and emotional mm -hmm. expressions on his or her face? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm looking at the whole child. But yeah, I, I play. You know, it's interesting. Um, right now I'm working with a, a couple of two and a half year olds and I go in with my whole bag of tricks, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got puppets. I got a monkey puppet that eats food and, you know, the child has to tell me what's, what, what does the monkey want to eat? You know, uh -huh. and I'll hold up two things and try to get the child to either say banana or cheese. <clears throat> um, and I, I've got books, I've got toys. I've, and last session I had with one of the kids, I went in with my bag of tricks. And all he wanted to do was lay on the floor with his trucks. So I laid on the floor with him with uh, his trucks yes. and we played with his trucks and we yeah. made all kinds of sounds. And some of them came out as words. He doesn't have many words yet. Yeah. Um, he can't figure out. He can't figure out how to move his mouth. There's nothing wrong with the muscles, yeah. but there's a part of the brain that tells the mouth how to move. Yeah. So you can be thinking a bee, you can be thinking ball, but it doesn't get down, the message doesn't get down here. So you're just going, uh, you're not going ball. Right. <clears throat> so how old is that child? Two and a half. Is he experiencing frustration or he just doesn't know he has a now he is. He's just starting to get really frustrated. It could be also because he has started um going to a like a little uh, nursery school. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I think he's probably aware that the other kids can communicate much better than he can. So he's getting pretty frustrated but of course two-year-olds they get frustrated with everything they get exactly. frustrated if you cut their sandwich the wrong way never know what's going to set them off yeah. they're going to be laying on the floor having a tantrum <laughs> exactly he touched yeah. my you know ribbon yep exactly um so you're on the floor playing with the trucks he isn't pronouncing ball properly. Where do you, how do you get, uh, you know, well, progress with, in that? With setting? this kid, I start by imitating his sounds. So if he's going, oh. ooh, ooh, I'm going, ooh, ooh, h, and then I might change it to, ooh, ooh ah. Oh. And hopefully he's going to pay attention to that change. It's oh. like I'm reprogramming his yes. brain, you know, and he makes environmental sounds like he'll go, like, what does he do for a fire truck? Nina, Nina. Also, uh -huh. he'll do um, his grandmother's Italian. And she goes, um, oh, ay, 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 yes. ay, ay. So he'll do ay, ay, ay. Uh -huh. And I'll, I'll imitate his sounds. So he knows that I'm in there with him. Okay. And then I might change it to ay, ay, ay. Ooh. Sometimes I'll use gestures with my body to, to denote that it's really a different sound. So um, wow. he'll get it, but he's, he's quite challenged, um, yeah. but he'll get it. And I mean, so kids like this and, you know, who, who really can hardly say anything at, at like two or even three. And usually, I mean, with good speech therapy, you know, like a couple times a week, um, you know, by the time these kids were five or six, their speech was perfect. And did the parents get homework to work on? The, the, um, the I, I do it. Well, okay. This is really interesting. Um, during COVID, I was doing all my work on Zoom. Yeah. 
And with these little guys, like, you know, who weren't, who weren't quite two yet, they would sit in their high chair and they like screens anyway. And so I would have my puppets and I'd have books yeah. and I'd have toys and yeah. they were definitely watching and interacting, you know, yeah. with me on the screen. Sure. Um, the parents were right there because everybody was home. Right. And so the parents were right there next to the child. And what I said to them is, watch what I do. Yeah. My job is to teach you to yeah. do this. That's, I'm only seeing your child once a week on Zoom. Yeah. My job is to teach you to do what I do. And you can incorporate it into your daily routine all the time. So if we're working on, um, let's say, uh, uh, I don't know, let's say we're working on, um, ooh, and then they can just incorporate it when they, like they say, oh, you want some, you want a cookie? Ooh, you want some milk? Ooh. So they're playing around with that sound all the time and they're doing what I do. Now, yes. um, now I'm working with kids in person at their, I go to their homes. Right. So I can really see their, I don't have an office. I haven't never had an office. I've always gone to their homes because that way I can really see what the child's life is like. Yeah. Um, what the communication system is in the home. Yes. So with one child, um, one week I, the nanny's with us and I'm training her. Yes. The next week the dad is with us yeah. and he's, um, he's learning to do what I do. The next week the mom is with us and, and yeah. Very good. Yeah, that, that, then it's just, it's part of life. It's not some <clears throat> accessory that's just, you know. Right, yeah. and the, you know, I mean the whole idea of, Okay, this is this is your homework for the week. I I, that, I don't like that. It's like, mm -mm. how can we incorporate this? Yes. I mean, we're com communication is going on all the time. Of course. So how can we optimize it um, so that it's happening all the time in the child's life? Yes. Yeah, not just you know during speech therapy. So. So there was that two and a half year old. Okay, so we all heard the story of Einstein not doing complete sentences. <clears throat> So if you had been around when he was a child, what would you, do you think that your analysis would have been? Would you have been able to identify that he had a very special kind of brain and he was processing things, but just didn't need this? Well, I just wonder. I don't know. I mean, I think yes. that's become a real myth yeah. in the culture. Uh -huh. yeah. I've had parents call me and say, well, I'm not worried because my child doesn't talk. He's yeah. four and a half, but Einstein didn't talk till he was yeah. five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, that's really worrisome. I mean, yes. a normal child, a normal child at three years old yes. is having a conversation. Yeah. Even if they they don't have all the sounds, their grammar isn't quite correct. Right. Um, they're having a conversation, and yes. they're they can get they they're really communicating. I don't know what that's about with Einstein, and it's really right. sad because some books were written. Yes. Um, I've got one on my shelf. I can't figure out what to do with it because I'd like to tear it up. I hate, <laughs> I, I, I can't deface a book. Right. But I don't, right. don't want to donate it because I don't want anybody else to ever read it. Yeah. It's like the, the late talking child, you know, don't worry. Well, if your child's not meeting the developmental milestones, you, you ask, you ask your pediatrician, what do you think? Start right. that way. Right. And then, it, you know, pediatrician may or may not say, well, let's have a speech therapist take a look at the kid. Right. But really, I mean, we know what the milestones should be. And definitely by th you know three, the child is having a conversation and really communicating 
back and forth in sentences. Mm -hmm. Especially with peers, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, this could have, I mean, communication difficulties or challenges take a huge toll on social interaction. Exactly. I mean, you've got, let's say you've got a classroom of four-year-olds and then there's one who can hardly communicate. Yes. What's going to happen to that child? Right. You know, first of all, well, how's the child going to feel about himself? Exactly. If he's actually at a point when he's any kind of self-reflection, but that varies. Some kids are oblivious. Yeah. Um, um, but, but the other kids, you know, I mean, it's going to be hard for them to play with him because he's not really. He might same. be oblivious and yet he is uh, getting in his own world so much because he, he isn't interacting. So whether or not he's aware of it, that's those are the patterns that are being built. Yeah. And again, it depends on the other kids. I mean, often sure. there'll be often there'll be a, a, like one or two little girls in the class. Yeah. Who are really motherly types. Yeah. And they'll take a kid like that right under their wing and they'll include him and yeah. him or her in everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it depends on the on the makeup of the group. Sure. Um, so sometimes the child is actually part of it, sometimes not so much part of it. Um, so a lot of the audience of this podcast is actually early childhood educators. And uh, I, I'm not quite clear how many parents are. But so right. a teacher sees a child and maybe might notice, you know, some challenges that that need to be addressed and the parent hasn't hasn't acknowledged or hasn't had the time or the bandwidth, whatever. How do you do you have any suggestions for how the educator would? Wow. OK, I'm glad you brought this up. This is kind mm. of a sticky area. Yes. I've this for years. Yes. Um, in a public school setting. Mm -hmm. that the parents are not paying for the child to go there mm -hmm. he's part of this whole system mm -hmm. and a lot of times you know the teacher will say I think you know should we should have a speech therapist check this child out if they have a speech therapist who comes to the school mm -hmm. or they might say actually if a child is in a public school situation there's always a therapist somewhere employed by that system that the child could be seen by that therapist mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Either the therapist is in the school or part of the, the system. Mm -hmm. um, the problem comes with private schools because um, they've got this kid, the family's paying a lot of money. Mm -hmm. They don't want to alienate the parent. Mm -hmm. So I've seen a lot of situations mm -hmm. where the teacher knew that the child should be seen by a speech therapist, oh. but they didn't want to, they, but they assessed that this parent was not going to take it well oh. and probably just pull their kid out of the school. Mm -hmm. So this is a very sticky situation oh. with private schools. Like what parents do they, do they suggest it to? What parents don't they suggest it to? Mm -hmm. um, it's a very, it's a very, and maybe it's not always about money, but it's just complicated for them because they don't usually have a speech therapist on staff mm -hmm. um, or in their system. And they would have to be suggesting that the uh, parent take the child to a private therapist mm -hmm. um, or a clinic. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, really they should do it. I mean, anytime, anytime a teacher sees that a child is really behind in communication development, they should alert the parent and say, you know, I really, I would suggest that you see a speech therapist. Yeah. There's another thing though. It's like, 
there's some kind of liability with some schools. Um, let's say um, I worked for the San Francisco School District for a long period of time. And, um, and we had speech therapy. I was a speech therapist. But sometimes I would see a child that I thought should have a lot more speech therapy, like see a private therapist mm -hmm. in addition to what I was giving the child mm -hmm. as part of the school district. Um, it, I, I was not allowed to say that because Whoa. if I said to the parent, I think you need private therapy in addition, that parent could sue the school district and say that um, the, school, the teacher said the child needs more speech therapy and you are um you must provide it you have to provide it and so they would be suing the school district to pay for private speech therapy very sticky but anyway for early childhood wow. people wow. early childhood people you know if there's any if you're concerned about a child's communication development at yes. any point yes. if you can figure out a way to yes. talk to the parents about it and ease them into it and yes. get them to have an evaluation uh, it's really I mean, the longer you wait, the harder it is. That's, you know? that's, that was the next thing I wanted to ask you. Yeah, and that's why I love working with little ones, like two-year-olds. Yes. yes. Um, because it's like, they're just learning, you know? And there's mm -hmm. so much you can do in this, early, in this early period. And a lot of these kids, it takes them a while to get started, but then mm -hmm. they just start, it, it just starts going, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I start, I'm working on one sound and the next thing I know, you know, they're doing a lot of the sounds because they got the idea. They yes. know they're supposed to watch. They know they're supposed yes. to listen. Yes. Um, and they, um, <laughs> and it's a game. Yeah, it just starts to snowball. So yes. that they, you know, and yeah, so that they, they improve on sounds that we've never even worked on because they, they understand the process. They just start to get what it's all about and what they need to do and how to move their tongue and their lips and their jaw. And yeah. Oh, I, you know, that, that whole, the the episode before this one uh this one that you and i are create recording i just did the import i tried to emphasize the importance of back and forth communication because it just opens up a world of interactions that can be constructive in learning in all the different ways that the brain can process and right. and manifest uh what has been processed so i i just love what you're doing Needy, I just noticed that um, the lighting has changed, and and um, can I take a second to open up my my blinds and let in more light? You can. You don't yeah. need to, but it's fine. Yeah. It's kind of a dark day around here. Okay. Oh, here too. Yes. Oh, yeah. that, that's, that is good, Rona. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it was just really getting dark. Good, good. Yeah. Um, so here's an example. Um, so first of all, the earlier you start, the, e the easier it usually is of course. to improve communication. Neuroplasticity. Um, and it's Yeah, and that's yeah. there all the time. Of course. Like, I, was, I was working with a, um, an 11-year-old. He can't say his R's. And wow. he, it didn't bother his parents particularly, but it was starting to really bother him. Um, some kids were making fun of him. So right. he, he told his parents he wanted speech therapy. Okay. And so he came, they came to me and I was working with him on Zoom on his R's and he was doing quite well. And then he decided he didn't want to do it. And um, 
I tried to explain to him and I explained to the parents that, you know, the longer he's saying his R's incorrectly, the more ingrained that pattern is. Yeah. And so to try to yeah. change it, wait, by the time he's 16, he's definitely going to want to do it. He's going to want to improve his R, you know, change yeah. his R's. Yeah. But it's going to, the longer you wait, the harder it is because they've been doing it wrong yeah. for so long. Yes. So that pattern is ingrained. Yes. That's what early intervention is the greatest thing that ever came along. Oh, okay. Really? Let me of tell course. You, when I, when I, okay, in the 1970s, that was a time where people were still saying, well, you don't really know if a child has a speech problem until they're about five. Uh -huh. That's what they were saying in the 70s. Uh -huh. And a friend and I got a special grant and started a preschool program in San Francisco for the San Francisco School District. It was a classroom for children from three to five years old with communication problems. Yes. And I mean, the school district wouldn't let us start it. We had to go out, we had to go to the state level and yeah. get a special grant because yeah. at that time they were saying, well, you just wait till they're five. And yeah. how do you know a child has a problem at three? Well, yeah. and then this whole field of early intervention. I mean, you yeah. just start looking at the kid from birth and seeing if there's a communication problem, you know, at, at any step along the way. And then you figure out like, you know, when do you refer and yeah. But really, I mean, working with these, these little ones, like, you know, 15 months old, 16 months old, and they're, these are normal kids. If yeah. a child, if a child is born with Down syndrome or cerebral palsy or something, you know, some kind of genetic problem, and they know that from birth and they know that that syndrome it always involves communication problems. Right. They will start at birth. Okay. You know, Golden Gate Regional Center is, um, they start providing services at birth, from birth wow. to three. Wow. Um, but the kids I'm working with are, are totally normal children. Yeah. Uh, their normal intelligence, they, their comprehension is okay. Their language comprehension. Um, it's it's the, the expression that they're not, they're not getting. And so, and I'm not working with, these kids are not artist, autistic, maybe mildly, um, one of them, but, um, and I have worked with all levels of autistic children, uh -huh. uh, but. Um, and know, I'd like these, to talk, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's and, okay. And, and so drawing out those kids with the autism, can you tell us some of your approaches with that? that mm. So, um, I mean, I've, I've worked with a lot of real experts on autism. Yes. And um, the, the most important thing to start with is called joint attention. And what this is, mm. is you've got an autistic child and um, you point, like I point up, you know, oh, there's an airplane and he doesn't pay attention. Ooh. So that's you know, or I'm looking at a book and I'm showing him the picture and oh. he's not looking. So mm. you start with what's called joint attention. Oh. You want the child to be able to attend to what you're attending to because that's the first step in communication. Mm -hmm. That's the very basic part of communication. Mm. For, yeah, I mean, I, so kids, so kids who can't talk, but are always like, you know, they're telling you, you know, they're yes. pointing all over yes. the place and gesturing. Yes. yes. 
they want you to look at what they're looking at. Yes. You know, they want you to be in it with them. That's joint attention. And they want and to look at what you're looking at. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Or they want you to look at what they're looking at. It, both ways. Exactly. Absolutely. That's joint attention. And that's beautiful basis of the whole thing. Oh, fabulous. you have to get joint attention. So how do you and, get it when it's not uh, automatic? Um, that's, that's a complicated question. I mean, of every course. child, you know, if you've of seen course. one autistic child, you've seen one autistic child. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, exactly. You know, well, every human being is so different. Of you know? course. That's one of the reasons I love it because every person is like a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. It's like every brain is like a jigsaw puzzle to me. It's like what part here is, is working and what's not connecting and what doesn't fit. Uh, um, you're the ultimate joint attention person, it seems like. <laughs> You're yeah. So much paying um, let's attention. see. What so would I do? What would I do? Uh, I probably get the parent involved. And let's say, um, let's say, well, that's one of the things. You know, kids. One of the early signs that a child is in the spectrum is uh -huh. they don't point. Uh -huh. They don't point. I'm not sure what age that comes in. It comes in pretty early, where a child will point. Um, because, because they, they want to get you on the same wavelength. Yeah, that's right. They're asking for joint attention. OK. Right? Um, and okay. yeah, so one of the things is you, you teach them to point. So, um, mm. yeah. Um, so let's say the child. I don't know. This is complicated, but let's say of the course. child um, notices an airplane that doesn't point to it. Yeah. And it's just going mm, 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 because he hears the airplane. Yes. And so I would maybe have the parent take the child's hand and point. Oh, and then I would say, oh, you're pointing in an airplane. And I would point at the airplane oh. too. Yeah, sometimes getting the parent. So it's like the parent mm. sort of motors the child through the action mm. so that the child starts to, yeah, it's, it's tricky. Oh, no, but I, I felt how effective that would be. It's a mm -hmm. simple thing, but it's just getting the physiology. Mm-hmm coordinated with some part of processing and getting more pieces knitted together. Right. I, I love The other that. thing is with autistic kids, because there's so much, again, it's, it's such a huge spectrum, but the of ones course. that are very much in their own world. Yes. What you, for me, I want to get in their world with them. Yes. So whatever they're interested in, if they're interested in spinning wheels, I'm going to spin wheels with them and then try to move that to some other thing. You know, they're spinning yeah. wheels, but then I'm gonna have like, stop, go. You know, so yeah. whatever they're interested yeah. in, I make yeah. the lesson yeah. 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 around what they are interested in yes. and then yes. try to move it to another level. Like if yeah. a child is um, interested in opening, they, a lot of times they're really interested in opening and closing things. Yes. So I might have the parents get a, a refrigerator box a big refrigerator box and cut a door in it. Oh. And then the child is opening and closing the door, but I'm yeah. inside. And so oh. every time the child opens the door, I'm going, boom, yeah. you know, so yeah. I'm getting interaction. Oh, God, yeah. it's just, it's just, it's, <laughs> I love that. I love, I see why you love it so much. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. fascinating. And the question is always, how do I connect with this person? Yes. And how do I assist this person in communicating effectively? Yes. Exactly. And moving the, the, the communication to a better and better level all the time. Yes, for their benefit and for everyone's benefit in their world. 
All right, now uh, switching channels a little bit, stuttering. How do you help people with stuttering? Oh, God. <laughs> oh. Okay. okay, so the story on this is um, I became a speech therapist because I wanted to cure stuttering. Oh. Um, I, uh, all through grammar school, there was a boy in my class who severely stuttered. And it just broke my heart. Yes. And, um, yes. and then when I was in high school, you know, I came from, I was going to be the first one to go to college. And so the question was, well, what are you going to be? What are you going to study? It wasn't right. like I was going to go study English or something. Right. Um, and so I, I was interested in psychology. I was interested in medicine. And I had a cousin who was a speech therapist. Mm -hmm. She was a distant cousin, but my mother suggested, go talk to her and mm -hmm. see what she does. I came out of that afternoon with Marsha knowing I wanted to be a speech therapist. Yeah. And my goal was I want to cure stuttering. Okay. So I read yes. everything that was written on stuttering. There wasn't that much at that time. Um, and I went, you know, did my training and I was particularly interested in stuttering. How many I years of felt, training? Hmm? How many years of training? Excuse me for interrupting. So the general thing is, you know, about four years of undergraduate school. And where I was actually majoring in speech pathology. Okay. Um, so my last two years was mostly courses in speech and hearing also, speech and hearing um, and language. And then um, uh, two years of graduate school. Okay, I'm so sorry I interrupted you. Um, That's okay. So, and, okay. And there's the other thing. In yeah. order to maintain my license as a speech pathologist, yes. I had to do 24 hours of classes every two years to renew my license. Yeah. So I'm constantly taking courses wow. and updating what I know. Yes. Okay. So, okay. Um, okay. So here I am. I think, you know, my goal is to cure stuttering because yes. it seems like the most, you know, difficult thing and so sad. Yes. And, all right. I, well, I came out of college feeling like I really didn't know how to, how to work with it. Um, I knew a lot about it, but I didn't know how to actually do anything with it. Yes. And so I had some kids that stuttered that I had to work with because I was working for public schools. And I just felt so inadequate. And so I decided not to work with stuttering at all. And I haven't worked with stuttering at all until just this year. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, I was working with the kid with the R problem who's 11. Yeah. He has a 16 year old brother who stutters. And the mother and I had some conversations and she said, I really, I would love it if you would work with him, if he'd be willing to do it because he seems okay with the fact that he stutters. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I thought, I don't know if I can give him anything. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I took a course. Yes. And in this course, the, the approach was totally different. The approach was not, how do you cure this? Yeah. And what are the methods to make speech more fluent? But yes. more like a Carl Rogers kind of approach. It's like, who is this person? Tell me who you are. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you'd like to get out of this. Let's work together and see if we can make you the most comfortable, effective communicator, regardless of the fact of whether you stutter or not. Yes. And so this is my this is my big um, diving in for the first time in decades with a, a kid who stutters. And it's it's really been incredible because I told him that from the beginning. And fortunately, this kid understood. He said, I don't expect you to cure me. He said, I know that, you know, I'll probably have this all my life. And the other thing is that um, a lot of people who stutter don't know anybody else who stutters. He has two friends who stutter. Oh. And so 
he's able to, to laugh with them and joke about it. Oh. And which oh. is a huge thing. Lifesaver. Yeah. Right. And so what we're doing is we're, we're um, looking at where his biggest challenges are. Biggest challenge is not actually talking or having conversation, but reading. He stutters like crazy when he reads out loud. And so we're looking at all different mm -hmm. ways. First, I'm doing a lot of relaxation with him. Mm. Yeah. Deep breathing. Oh. Starting from there. You know, starting with like a little bit of a sing song because that kind of gets him into it. Oh. Um, maybe reading slower. Um, reading it to himself first so he knows what it says. And mm. then it seems to be easy. So we're just we're just experimenting sure. and it, I'm enjoying it tremendously. And he's just the greatest kid. Oh, yeah. So this oh. is really interesting. So I'm not out to cure stuttering anymore. <laughs> I'm just, I think that I have the ability after all these years to help somebody who stutters to be more comfortable and become a bit more effective communicator, regardless of the stuttering. Mm. Beautiful. It just. I used to, before I understood that uh, Pre President Biden had that challenge and that he's done a, a fantastic, you know, made leaps of progress with that, but still it, it haunts him once in a while. And it just, I just saw something on social media yesterday or today where somebody was making fun of it. It just like, oh, why would you make fun of that? I know. You know? It's just I like, oh, oh, let's make fun of what a cruel heart you have. You know, yeah, it's just like, crazy. but no, that doesn't do any good either, of course. But it's just um, what's happening when a person stutters? What is that? We don't know for sure. It's very interesting. Um, there, there are some theories that it's, it happens in the brain. Yes. There's like a, a glitch that happens in the brain. Like a misfiring? People, kind of. Some okay. people think that it's a glitch actually in the larynx. Huh. Um, so we don't even know for sure where the stuttering problem originates from, whether it's at the level of, you know, actually producing the, the word, the speech, you know, with your larynx or whether it's um, something in the brain. And whenever I meet anybody who stutters, I ask them what they think, you know, because. Yes, it's their experience. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a psychological problem. Uh -huh. I mean, it, it's physiological, but it uh -huh. can certainly be um, relieved somewhat or exacerbated by emotional issues. A lot of people uh -huh. who stutter, they don't stutter when they, they don't stutter when they sing. Right. And they don't stutter when they're talking to their dog. <sighs> Although that's one of the things I've done with this young man. I've, I've instructed him to read to his dog. And he says, he says, I stutter when I read to myself out loud, <laughs> you know, I, even when I read to my dog. So we're trying to desensitize him a bit, doing some reading out loud on his own and to the dog and to his mother and to his father. But um, um, yeah, they, um, I, where was I going with that? Um, um, <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's oh, going it was so well. About, yeah, it was about where where the problem is. Well, anyway, we don't really know oh, about emotional issues. Yeah, so if a person is, one of the things that we've looked at with this young man is that he's developed a fear of reading out loud because from the first oh, time course. it ever happened, you know, now it's like every time he goes to read out loud, there's a fear factor. So we're working a lot on reducing that through relaxation and 
from desensitization. Um, but yeah. yeah, so it's but it's it's not caused by emotional things. It used to be thought that it was caused by like critical parents who you know really are always criticizing their child and very authoritarian and that could maybe make the problem a little worse but yeah. that's not what it's about yeah and you know a lot of kids a lot of kids go through a disfluent period when they're you know let's say between two and five um but usually it disappears uh -huh. um however again if a child is stuttering stammering it's the same thing stuttering and stammering are the same thing um yeah. if a child is doing that it's probably wise to have a speech therapist take a look often a speech therapist will, will look at the child and listen to the child and say you know what this is the kind of this is the kind of stammering or disfluency that's going to go away or i can tell by the way he does it or she does it that um we're probably going to need some therapy so we should probably start soon yes Yes. Yeah. I, I I love that uh, it makes so much sense that if the if the child can have an opportunity to relax, it just makes sense that that things would not be quite so. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, you change your whole physiology yeah. when you do some slow, deep breathing. Right. You know, right. a kind of mindfulness meditation. Right. Um, that you know really changes your physiology you know when your body relaxes and your mind relaxes it changes things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah some people i know speak so fast do you work with people like that at all or kids like that that just you know <laughs> yeah um, and that, that's fun sometimes but you know if you're tired it's hard to keep up so are you talking about adults or kids or? Well, of course, I'm thinking of adults, but I wonder when that starts and, and do kids, is that usually something that starts in childhood or does it happen later? Um, well, I mean, I, you know, I've only worked with rate of speaking, mm. speed of speaking um, in conjunction with another problem, because usually mm. I don't get a referral about somebody who's talking too fast. Mm. Um depends on where it's coming from i mean i can think of one one young woman i know she's a compulsive talker and she just she yeah. just goes on and on and on and on and on and i think it's an anxiety problem yeah um and i don't remember whether she had this when she was a child but i i'm not sure what that's about but i mean yeah. sure you can work with people on rate of speaking for sure i mean you can use like you know um you can tap it out, you know, like, oh. uh, yeah, wow. yeah. So that you're, you're, you know, you're doing, you know, like I went to school and I saw just, you know, and like slow oh. it down oh. and speed it experiment and also using, um, recording it. I, I do a lot of recording. Oh. I just do it right on my phone. I'll record, um, yeah. a child, a person, a child speaking yes. and have them analyze it with me. Like how did that sound? And so again, I've worked on I've worked on uh, speed and rate of speaking when there's another issue. So uh, yeah. I have worked with kids that are talking way too fast. Yeah. So I'll record them. We might be working on the S sound at the same yes. time, but then I'll record them and play it back, and we'll listen to it. And I'll say, well, what did you think about that sentence? Oh, it was too fast. So I'm getting them to help analyze it, and just you know, a lot of times awareness. 
Yes. Awareness and practice. Yes. That's really what it's about. For, for all of it, it's about awareness and practice. Yes. You practice the new pattern, but you have to be aware first. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Something else that comes to mind. I've always enjoyed your voice, Rona. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my Thank mother, uh, my mother was a, a drama coach and a, uh. She helped people with their speech sometimes. And she made a big deal of us. Uh, I had to take a lot of her classes, which of course I fought like crazy, but I am so grateful to her because it, it, I, I hear now when people's voices are a little bit, have a little bit more of the breath in them or they're all in the throat. Do you help with people with that at all? Your voice has the breath in it that, it's easier to listen to for a longer period of time. I've never thought about this. Wow. I've never thought about this at all. Wow. Um, I will tell you that um, uh, sometimes when I'm working with somebody, I've worked with, I've worked with some, old, some, you know, teenagers um, or adolescents who are monotone, very monotone, oh. absolutely monotone. And so with uh -huh. one young man that I worked with, um, we would practice a sentence using different vocal expressions because he was so monotone all the time, just completely monotone. And so we would take a sentence like, um, I like chocolate milk. And we would go, I like chocolate milk. And then we'd go, I like chocolate milk. And then yes. it would be, I like chocolate milk. Yes, yes. So that we're emphasizing different words in the yes, sentence. Yes. And then I would have him like read, you know, a couple sentences or a paragraph yes. and what we did we did a lot of um he was having to read books for school so I bought the same books that I was reading it along with him yes. and he would we would assign sort of different voices to the characters yes. and so he would read uh, uh, out loud and in the voice of John or in the voice of you know uh, Susie or whatever yes. and so he would start to get and we would record it Yes. And then we would listen, we would listen to it together, you know, okay, what do you think? Did you actually get some expression into your voice? So I do work on that. And I think, I think because I'm, a, I mean, I've never been a dramatic person in terms of, yeah. like, I've never been, I've never been in plays, that kind of thing scares me to death. Uh -huh. um, yeah, you know, I've never, I hated improv classes. Yeah. But um, I think being a speech therapist, I'm just so aware of communication. And my listener so I change, you know, I speed up or slow down yes. or change my voice quality or yes. whatever, just to make sure that I'm communicating. I mean, it's all for me, everything's about communication effectively, yeah. making sure that my listener really gets what I'm saying. Yeah. And that you get what the person is saying, too. I know communication with you has always been very satisfying. Right. right. With that uh, monotone person. Did, mm -hmm. did that was a, a guy a kid yeah a, uh, let's see a 14 year old okay what had he been recommended or had he said that I'm getting responses that are I'm getting told this or how did, oh we were working on a lot of other things uh, uh -huh. the he came to me because his speech was not real clear he had okay. had speech therapy when he was young but okay. all the sounds were not perfect yet okay and so he and he would slur over sounds sometimes so we okay. were started by working on articulation, but then okay. it turned out that there was also a fluency problem. 
And we uncovered stuff as we went along. And as I talked to his parents and during a conference with his parents, his father said, you know, he's such a monotone. Yeah. And his speech is so monotone. Can you do anything about that? Yes. And so that's why we started working on that. And and he um, was I, he was good with it. The kid was he improved. He definitely improved. But I mean, yeah. he was on board with he, he, yeah. he heard it and he said, oh, yeah, that's that, yeah. that needs to get better. <laughs> OK, yeah. he saw that because you were talking about awareness, how important awareness. And is. he his awareness was not great. Uh -huh. His self-reflection was not great. Uh -huh. um, I think he had some other learning problems. Uh -huh. He definitely did have some other learning problems. We also worked a lot on language. Uh, we worked, but anyway. Um, uh, when you say language, you mean vocabulary or? Um, let's see. Uh, for example, he would, he would be reading Lord of the Flies, right? Uh -huh. And even though he was reading the word, he, words, he was misunderstanding what it was about. Oh. Um, he was kind of a concrete thinker. Okay. And so we had to not abstract, little, not, yeah, we had to work more on abstract things. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, when he expressed himself, he often expressed himself in just short, simple sentences. And he was like 14 years old. And so we worked on expanding his sentences, wow. you know, like, like he, I would say, tell me about your uncle. Um, okay. My uncle is a, um, my uncle is an opera singer and I would say, okay, tell me more, you know, um, is he, and we would describe him in detail. Yes. Tell me what he looks like. Tell me where he lives. Tell me, and then we would develop this whole thing. Now tell yes. me about your uncle. He lives in San Francisco and he's, you know, he's a tall guy with dark hair. And so I had to teach him how to elaborate. Okay. So that's part of working on language expression. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so it's so interesting that you said he was very concrete in his conception and language like that. How do you get more abstractions and more big picture? And how do you get that? Well, a that? lot of it is um, if you can get a kid to visualize, oh. you know, close your eyes. OK, close your eyes. Now, you said your uncle's an opera singer. Close your eyes. Look at your uncle. You know, is he tall? Is he short? Is he? Um, is he friendly or is he uh, not very friendly? Uh, is he a happy person or is uh, he sort of a serious person? And have him visualize and then mm, put it into words and mm. then record him and have him listen back and maybe have him write it. Because one of this, the one challenge with this boy was his writing also was very simple for somebody his age. So we worked on a lot. See, this is the thing. Sometimes somebody will be referred to me on about one thing. Yeah. And then I discovered yeah. there's like five different yes. things that we need to work on yes. that have to do with communication. Yes. Yeah. And that's what it was with him. We kept on uncovering more and more things, you know, and then the beginning, I was just working on speech, yes. but then it evolved into me working with him on writing, expressing himself, you know, in written language for essays for school and things like that. <laughs> you know, that's, there's speech therapists that work a lot on, um, on reading. Oh, I mean, when you said that, I, I started thinking about the car mechanic. You take it in to fix the brakes, and then they're telling you that you have to. <laughs> Wait a minute, what's going on here? But I, I, I'm also realizing I laugh because once you say, "Oh, this is connected to this," and the the language is connected to the writing and the reading and the and the and the speech patterns, and the, it's just so interesting to see how it is all connected. 
And, and, and that's what's the thing that's fascinating to me as well is the connections, how so many things are interrelated and you pull on this one and then you get this one coming and then you fix this one and that one gets, gets affected positively. I love all of that. That's right. Right. Yeah. And that's why, you know, um, input for, from parents is so important mm. because, you know, like in this case, you know, the, I, a child came to me for a particular thing. I started to notice other things. Mm -hmm. And so I had like a really long Zoom conference with the parents. I had a couple, we did a few of those. Um, and I would ask questions about him, um, about school. And then these other things started to, mm -hmm. to uh, come clear that, that he had difficulty with writing. And, and the father actually suggested, would you work with him on, on writing, expressing himself with writing? Mm -hmm. um, but there are speech therapists that just work on that. Mm -hmm. And um, they work on, on uh, translating oral language into written language and being, you know, and, and reading. There's some speech therapists that work on reading. And one of the things about that, this is a little off the subject, but mm -hmm. when I'm working with kids on sounds, I always show them the letter, even the little ones. Mm -hmm. um, so if I'm working on, mm, I might just put an M, show them an M. And then I'm doing a bunch of things that start with M, like monkey wants milk, and I'll show them the M. So these kids, yeah. um, a lot of these kids, are, they, 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 they turn out to be able to read pretty easily because they've been think they've had phonetic awareness yes. early in life. You yeah. know, I mean, it's amazing. You know, with a child who's not introduced to letters and sounds, <clears throat> that all of a sudden, you know, at five or six, they're expected to start to read. But, you know, starting with uh, phonemic awareness sounds early is a really great thing to do. It's, you know, it's what you want to do to get kids ready for, for reading. Right, right. It's just an advantage. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of what you read, you know, is that, you know, if we're, there's such an emphasis on academic skills then that's kind of imbalanced too but this seems like it's connected to a whole of development like you started out in this conversation about the whole child which I right. really really appreciated and and language and reading that's this is so intertwined you know why would Absolutely. it be yeah why Absolutely. would it be separated and the earlier that you can call it it's not that I want the kid to be able to read it's I'm not teaching them to read yes I'm just um making awareness of sounds yes. and if you can connect it to a letter even better you know Absolutely. actually connect it to a letter early on but the thing is if you're working on sounds you know and you're discriminating between um bees and cheese you know there these are things that they you know that it's going to help serve them well when they're starting to learn to read absolutely absolutely yeah. and and just that reminds me again about the the sense of self and competence and confidence being built so that when I come into a situation, I don't have to force myself or prove myself or hide away, none of that stuff. I can just be with others, my peers and others, because I'm comfortable in myself and my skills and my ability to interact. That's why what you bring is, is so important. And that's why, you know, it's like speech therapy should be fun <clears throat> because yes, people learn yes, better yes. when they're relaxed and Absolutely. happy. Absolutely. And um, 
I think most speech therapists, you know, um, make their, whoever they're working with comfortable and make the session enjoyable. And that's one thing that parents always tell me, oh, after working with you, my child has so much more confidence. And not just as a, more confidence as a speaker, but just in general, a more confident human being. Of course. Yeah. It makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, I try to keep it all positive. I don't use words like good or bad or right or wrong. Yeah. Um, You know, not value judgments, you know. Yes. It's like, you know, if I'm saying cheese and the child says cheese, I'll say, you did a great job on that sound. I love the way you moved your mouth. Yes. So a lot of parents, a lot of parents and teachers are always saying good job. Yeah but that doesn't give the child any information. Right. Exactly. You want to tell them what they did. Yes. That was good. Exactly. That was a good job, you know? Exactly. Oh, you, wow. I said, Ooh, and you said, Ooh, that yeah. was great. Fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah. Uh, that there was something else I wanted to ask you. Oh, darn it. It went out of my brain. Um, I have loved this conversation. Darn it, there was something else. Mm-mm-mm. Well, it's really fun for me too. I'm... Oh, oh, I know. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, but it came back. Yeah, so, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> so you work uh, with clients in uh, your private practice. So not everyone can afford that, which is heartbreaking to you and to everyone, I'm sure. So what to do for people who, you know, have some financial challenges, but have a child that they really. Okay. So um, the first thing is, well, I did work for the San Francisco school district for 25 years. Yes. Um, And so I was seeing all kinds of kids that could never afford private therapy. Okay. That's available in most public school settings. Yeah. Um, Okay. Should be able. And a lot of them are doing it by teletherapy now because there's, there's really a lack of speech therapists. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time I go to a conference, there's all these school districts with booths, you know, with tables saying we need speech therapists oh. desperately. Now, if using teletherapy, you know, um, let's say they've got a, a speech therapist in Mendocino yes. who's got a lot of availability. And so even though the kids are in Marin, they okay. can be doing tel- teletherapy. For some kids, teletherapy works fine. Okay. Like with, with a 16-year-old who stutters, sure. I'm doing teletherapy. I don't need to see him in person. Sure. Um, and during COVID, I was seeing everybody um, with sure. teletherapy. But now, you know, I'm most, I'm mostly I'm working with these two and a half year olds. Yes. I have several of them. On the and floor. I'm now going to their homes. Yeah, on um, the floor. Okay. Yeah, on the floor or wherever, <laughs> you know, outside yeah. on the climbing yeah. structure. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Whatever chasing yeah. them around the yard. Yeah. Um, so about the money. Okay. There's something there, there in every, all over the country, there are regional centers. Mm-hmm. And here in the Bay area, it's called Golden Gate Regional Center. Mm-hmm. So children from zero to three um, who have any kind of suspected delay in anything, speech, cognition, motor skills can be evaluated by Golden Gate Regional Center, and that's free. And then they provide the services, they provide the therapy. And they usually go, if the family has insurance, then Golden Gate Regional Center will try to get the insurance company to pay. Sure. 
Um, and if they don't have insurance that would pay, then Golden Gate Regional Center, I believe, pays. Okay. Um, okay. Then at starting at three, um, there's speech therapy available in school districts. Okay. There's the uh, three to five early intervention in school districts for kids who have pretty serious problems. They'll be placed in a special day class mm -hmm. um, where they get services, hopefully. Um, if it's a milder problem, um, from three to five, they may be granted like two speech therapy sessions a week um, somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and that's all free. Okay. All right, now private Good. therapy. Um, what I do, I mean, some private therapists are also uh, in network with insurance companies. Okay. And so, I mean, I, I just had a phone call yesterday from a mother and her first, she said, before we go into anything, all I wanna know is, um, are you in, in network in any insurance company? And I yes. said, no. She said, okay, end of conversation. She said, I have to find um, a yes. therapist who is covered by my insurance. Yes. Now, a lot, of, a lot of us in private practice don't do that because a lot of times the insurance companies don't pay that well. Yes. So what I do is um, I submit my bill to the family every month. Yes. And then if they if they choose to, they submit it to their insurance company. Okay. And hopefully get the insurance company to pay. Yes. Um, a lot of times it depends on completely depends on what kind of insurance people have. And even if they have, you know, like even if you've got five people that have Aetna, they've got different kinds of policies. One of them will pay for speech therapy no matter what. Another mm -hmm. one only pays for speech therapy if it's a medically diagnosed need. Mm -hmm. So they're all different. It's complicated. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I, I, I've written lots of letters to insurance companies trying mm -hmm. to get them to reimburse my clients. Yeah. Okay. Good, good, good to know. Good. Yeah. And, so, and, and you know, I mean, I also, I'll chart them because I've been doing this for a long time and I'm kind of semi-retired. You know, I kind of give people a break sometime, especially, yeah. I mean, I'm very in, in tune with that. If I think that these people are going to, really have a problem paying me yeah. I you know I'll, re I'll reduce my fee sure sure yeah sure um I, I would exp I would not be surprised by that uh, about you Rona but I I was just wondering for people that aren't even in California and that you know are, are have different challenges like that and well I think there's regional centers ev everywhere so it's just so funny, you know, like I could live my whole life and hear Golden Gate Regional Center and never think that they would have anything to do with my life, even if I had a child with a speech impediment or something, you know, what kind of a word is that that helps us to know what they do? You just have to know well, somebody who knows somebody. Usually, yeah, I mean, a lot of hopefully pediatricians know about it. Uh -huh. um, and let's say if a pediatrician refers a child to me, which has happened um, many times, and then I'll say to the parent, you know, do you know about Golden Gate Regional Center? Because okay. I'm I'm vendorized by them. Okay. So I can see it, I can see the child either privately or I can see them through Golden Gate Regional Center, but they pay less than my regular fee, but I'm willing to do it. Sure, so sure. do you just use a new word that I've never heard, vendorized? Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. Did you make that up or is that real? No, no. They talk that's the that's the word they use. Wow, you know, are you vendorized by Golden Gate Regional Center to provide therapy for children? I love it. I yeah. love it. I love lunar new words. Um, and I suppose that's one of the things that you help kids with is expanding their vocabulary. Oh yeah, definitely. 
definitely. Uh, language is so fascinating. So fascinating. absolutely. I'm yeah. continually fascinated, especially by children who learn language. <laughs> they just learn it, you know? It's I know. like amazing. What is that? Like normal speech and language development is like miraculous to me. Yes. It's just miraculous. Yes. yes I mean, these is. kids come in, they're hardwired for it. Yes. And and so I get to see the ones where the wiring isn't right. Yes. Yeah. But and is, is is repairable. Yeah. Or at least improvable. Improvable, yes. Yeah, it depends so much on the kid. Yeah. I mean, I'm I, you know, I've I've limited my practice. Like I don't work, I don't work with um, severely autistic kids anymore. I'll work with somebody maybe with mild, mild um yes. autistic spectrum. Uh, worked a lot with Asperger's type kids. They don't use, they're not using that term anymore, but um, it's just all autistic spectrum. Yes. Um, and, you know, I don't work with cleft palate or cerebral palsy. Um, and there's a lot of things and I don't work with adults. So my favorite thing is working with these really little ones who are just <laughs> learning to talk and, and it's not working right. Yes. Yeah. That's my favorite thing. She says with a, a great, of, big, beautiful smile. <laughs> a lot of speech therapists, they don't want to work with two-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or three-year-olds. Like, right. give me a kid who's five, you know. But I, yeah. I really like, I think it's fascinating. Yes. Fascinating and fun. Yeah. They're so uh, adorable. They're just so adorable. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah. Oh, that's just so wonderful. I, I know when you, when you focus in on a group that you just click with I just love that I I taught kindergarten through 12th grade and at a certain point I realized oh my god I love the middle schoolers and people go what you really? like I, us huh wow I know I know but they were just to me they were just so adorable because they were just like stuck in the middle of all the confusion of their physiology and their brains and their growing independence but their childness still you know and it was just oh my god they were so adorable and fun for me well they're so lucky they had you because that is really yeah. a hard age yeah I just really love yeah. them I just had so much fun with them and real successes so it's you know when we all find that group that you, you wouldn't necessarily think would be the one that you would but yeah Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Is there anything else we should know? I want to, and, and if there's any information you want me to put in the show's notes, um, if you want people to get in, be able to get in touch with you or, or other resources. Uh, I'm always available to talk to people. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Um, and or give advice about stuff. Um, but yeah, it's important for people to know about you know, from zero to three, they can go to Golden Gate Regional Center to get um, services from th from three on. School districts should be providing services. Okay. Um, if they go for private therapy, sometimes insurance will reimburse part of it. Yeah. If the person's not in network, that's important to know. Yeah. Um, I think the most important thing of all is as soon as you think there might be some difficulty with communication, yeah. Don't freak out. Don't worry about, you know, is it a problem? Isn't it a problem? Just mm -hmm. have a speech therapist do an evaluation and let you know whether it's something that needs to be handled now, whether you can wait or whether it's not even a problem. Mm -hmm. And again, with early educators, um, early childhood educators, mm -hmm. that's tricky. 
you know, I mean, they have to figure out with, with their program, you know, with they, you know, the people they work with, when is it okay to suggest this to a parent? And I think every parent is going to be different. Some parents, you know, they're going to freak out. Mm-hmm. Other ones, you, you know that they're going to listen. Mm-hmm. But really, the early childhood educators are in a really important position mm-hmm. to, to help these kids get what they need in terms of communication help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very good. Um, just uh, as the way things have been organizing, one uh, an episode I'm going to have be recording soon is with people who work with deaf and hard of hearing children. Uh huh. So that's going to connect in very much with this. Oh yeah, that's going to be fascinating. Yes. that's a whole other thing. Yes. Um, yeah, I actually that's not something I, I've done some of it. Yes. Um, and the most interesting was a little boy who came from Iraq. Yeah. Who was, wow. had been deafened by a bomb outside his bedroom Ooh. window, and he came here to get cochlear implants. Uh huh which was late, they usually get them around, I don't know, uh, by 18 months or something. Uh-huh. And he was already three and uh-huh. we weren't sure how it would go. Yeah. Um, and um, he, he was supposed to just get the cochlear implants and go back to Iraq. Yeah. And, um, but that was ridiculous because if he was in Iraq, there was no speech therapy available. There was yeah. no, there weren't an audiometrist to like, you know, cal- calibrate his, his hearing problem. Um, there's this, you know, the cochlear implants. So they got, uh, they got um, asylum and the family was able to stay here. And I had never worked with a child like that. Fortunately, he had had hearing the first year and a half of his life. Uh, so the pathways were already laid down, uh, uh, the neural pathways. Yes, yes. And so, um, so he already, he already had some inner language and yes. knew what language was. And um, so I worked with him. I volunteered I worked with him for free for three years. Wow. And um, would go to their apartment in the city. And um, yeah, and, you know, I became really close with the family. It was just an amazing thing, you know, uh, being close with this Iraqi family. And after I worked with her son, um, she would always always give me dinner. She was a great cook. And Uh um, anyway, this kid, I'm still in touch with them. They live in Seattle and he is now 17. And. His speech is perfect, absolutely perfect. His language is fabulous. He's an all A student, he's doing great. He's doing great. So that was my big experience, experience, experience with yes. a child who was deaf and cochlear implants. Well, you'll probably hear a lot about it. Yeah. I mean, I have one thing to say about that. Um, if a child is born deaf into a deaf family and they mostly use signs, they may choose to not do cochlear implants yes but in a, but if a family if it's a hearing family and their child is is born deaf definitely cochlear implants mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and also i i know um uh, i worked with a girl when she was like three four years old who had a serious hearing loss and she just got cochlear implants as an adult and i'm in communication with her and she said it changed her life she got them as an adult. So you'll be able to get into all of that. With yes. The person that you talk to. Yes. And, and I have, um, I did take a American sign language course one time and, and mm. the teacher was deaf 
And he was, I, I saw that the deaf people were adamant about not doing the implants, just as you pointed out. It's a culture. It's a, they it's, have their it, own it, cultural identity. It is. And it's it's very rich. It's extremely Absolutely. rich. I you love how you, sorry. There was a film. There was a film last year. Yes. All kinds of awards. Um, yes. What was it? Children of, um, children of deaf adults. Uh -huh. anyway. C-O-D-A, right. Yeah, but it was um, so good. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense to do that to a child if the child's basic culture is going to be a hearing culture. Right. That child should be given the opportunity sure. to hear. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a very personal decision. Oh my God, Rona, thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you. you. This was so much fun. Oh. So, if I could say one more thing about please. Uh, development, please. Um, I just hope that most early child people really. So early childhood people realize that, um, you know, you get this cooing and then you get this babbling with all these different sounds and then you start to get tr true words, maybe like 12 months. Some kids are earlier, some kids are later, but by, by a year, we usually have a few real words. And I think, you know, people understand the sequence of uh, then it's easier for them to put it in perspective and know when to refer um so you know like a, a one-year-old will probably say mama dada mm -hmm. bye bye um some kids are doing way more than that some kids aren't doing that mm -hmm. but if they're not trying to make sounds then you've got a pro you probably have a problem like yeah. from two years old from from one year to two what happens is that the language starts to develop at two a child should definitely have two word combinations like daddy home big dog, um, go bye-bye. So it's two words mm. minimum at two. Mm. And then from two to three, you get this incredible expanse. So at three, mm. you've got a kid who's communicating in sentences, mm. understanding language quite well, mm. um, quite a vocabulary, hundreds and hundreds of words. Um, and that all the sounds might not be correct. Um, and there's grammar that's off, you know, like, um, um, anyway, they don't have like past tense and things like that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they're talking and they're understood, even though there's some errors. Um, and if you've got a three-year-old who isn't really talking in short sentences and isn't understood, that child should definitely be seen for an evaluation. Yes. Does that help to put it in? beautiful yes, yeah. yes 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 yeah yes, kind yes. of in a sequence yes it takes it takes it out of the mystery and just makes it very one yeah. two three logical it's very general but you know and yeah. all every yeah, of course. Is different. but of still course. that's just the general that's the general sequence when my firstborn son one time he was looking out the window and he was maybe two and a half or three and it was the moon was out there, but it was very overcast. And all I can see is from the back. And he's going, and he knows I'm in the room. And he goes, moon froggy, mommy. Oh, that's incredible. Oh, moon yeah, now look froggy. At that, look look at the ability to, you know, be like poetic. And Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Language is so amazing. Oh, it's so amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. Thank you, Rona. Well, this has been a joy. 
just so much fun to talk to you. Yes, as yeah. always. Yeah. Yeah, really. Really. All right. All right. Look we'll forward to seeing you more. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that would be so, great. Yeah. Okay. okay. All my very best. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, just quickly, please do uh, follow us on Instagram. And if you have an inclination to say or think something kind about this podcast, we'd love to get your feedback or following on Instagram or Facebook and to give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. It'll make a big difference. We feel like this information and these conversations are here to really enrich teachers' and parents' lives. So if you can help us spread the word, we will be so grateful. Okay, until next time, we have some incredible guests coming up for more enriching conversations. All right, see you soon, I hope. Bye.